Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery. Solve mind-teasing mysteries of the Roaring Twenties. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris and uncover a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. We're all here because we love true crime, right? Well, this game has the perfect twists and turns to keep your brain asking, what happened here? There's nothing I love more than getting to decorate my very own luxurious state island. The best part? You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, I tell the story of Felicia Barnes, a 16-year-old girl who disappeared on December 28, 2010, from Baltimore, Maryland. Felicia had recently connected with her older half-siblings and began going to Baltimore to visit. But during her visit in December 2010, Felicia disappeared from her sister's apartment. Her sister's ex-boyfriend was the last person to see her. Nearly four months later, her body was found in a river. Her sister's ex-boyfriend was arrested a year later. But after eight years and three trials, Felicia didn't get justice. Over a decade later, her family is still waiting. This is Felicia's story. As some of you may remember, when we did our 100th episode, I said I was going to include more stories of Black girls under the age of 18. And so this week, I'm telling the story of Felicia Barnes. Before I begin, I want to warn you, this is going to be a hard episode, and some of the details are disturbing. I normally don't give trigger warnings on our episodes because all the stories we tell are difficult to hear. But since this story involves a minor, I wanted to make sure that I gave you that disclaimer on this episode. The disappearance and murder of Felicia Barnes is a parent's worst nightmare. And after over 12 years and three trials, they have not received justice. The details of this story are almost unbelievable. And what this family has endured is unimaginable. Felicia Barnes was born on January 12, 1994, and was raised in Monroe, North Carolina by her mom, Janice. Felicia was a bright child from an early age and excelled academically. In Monroe, she attended Walter Bickett Elementary, where she ended up skipping third grade, going straight to fourth. As she moved on to middle school, Felicia continued to thrive academically, always pushing herself to achieve more. She knew that her hard work would pay off, and it did when, in the seventh grade, 
she applied and was accepted to the highly regarded Union Academy, a top-rated charter school in Monroe. At Union Academy, she was a straight-A student, and her success was a testament to her hard work and her determination. Outside of school, she was the typical kid who grew into a normal teenager. She was focused, and she never gave her mom any trouble. She liked talking on the phone with her friends and going to the movies. Like a lot of teenage girls, she also liked to shop and hang out with her friends. But even with all these typical teenage pursuits, Felicia never lost sight of her priorities. She was focused on her studies and her future. Felicia stayed at Union Academy for high school, and she was a part of the creative arts program and participated in the theater there. She also began taking college prep courses, which would pay off because after all her hard work, Felicia was on a track to graduate early. For the most part, Felicia lived a normal life with her mom, Janice, but for years, there had been something missing. According to Janice, in an interview that she had done with Nancy Grace, she said that Felicia's dad had not been in her life for some time. However, she said that after about eight years, she began to encourage her daughter to turn to Facebook to find him. As Felicia was getting older, Janice feared that not having her father in her life would leave a huge void. Quote, I didn't want her going from man to man looking for her father in relationships, so I encouraged her to look for her half-sisters online, and maybe she could find her father that way because she hadn't heard from him in over eight years, Janice said in her interview with Nancy Grace. Now, although Janice had gotten married when Felicia was three, she believed having her real father in her life was important. She told the Atlantic Constitution Journal, quote, I tried to explain to my husband that although you've been in her life, it's not the same. She wants to know her biological father and where he came from. Russell Barnes, Felicia's dad, had older children who, at the time, were living in Baltimore. And so Janice figured if Felicia reached out to them, then they could lead her to Russell. And so sometime around 2009, Felicia found her siblings on Facebook. Kelly, Brian, and Dina. According to Dina, in a statement to a local news outlet, she said that as soon as they were contacted by Felicia, there was an immediate bond. The siblings began communicating regularly over Facebook, and eventually, Felicia and her father Russell also reconnected. She also started going to Baltimore so that she could spend more time with her other family. In Monroe, Felicia, in preparation for her graduation, had begun applying for colleges and had already been accepted to a few schools, but she ultimately decided that she was going to attend Towson University in Maryland, where she was planning to major in psychology and early childhood education. Her desire to go to Towson may have been driven by her newfound relationship with her father and his family. Janice, however, later told the Atlantic Constitution Journal that she was reluctant to let her daughter go out of state for school because she felt that she wasn't ready. Janice said that she was overprotective of her youngest daughter, and so despite the fact that she was a good girl who made good choices, she still, like any mother, worried about her being out in the world by herself. However, she did allow her to go to Baltimore. 
Now, between the time she reconnected with her siblings and December 2010, Felicia visited Baltimore at least four times, often staying with her sister Dina, who, despite a 12-year age difference, had become really close to Felicia. In June 2010, Felicia made one of those visits to Baltimore. At the time, her sister was dating a man named Michael Johnson, who was living with her, and he would often be around during Felicia's stay. According to reports, Michael would spend a lot of time hanging out with her and Felicia during those visits. Like I said, there was a pretty big age difference between the sisters, and Dina was an adult living on her own. Now, she later admitted that she would drink and smoke weed while Felicia was there, and that she had introduced her underage sister to drinking and weed. I mean, it seems like it was always a good time at Dina's apartment, and it was often a place for her and her friends to hang out. But during that June 2010 visit, Dina allegedly witnessed an inappropriate interaction between Michael and Felicia after they had all been drinking. According to Dina, on the night of June 13, 2010, she, Felicia, and Michael and his younger brother and a cousin of his had been at the apartment drinking and hanging out when someone decided that they should all go streaking in the field of a local school. Adina alleged that she became uncomfortable when she saw Michael and Felicia in the bathroom afterwards together while they were both naked. She said that Michael bent down and wiped something off of Felicia's leg and then allegedly tried to touch her vagina. But Felicia laughed and brushed his hand away. Dina said that she confronted Michael about this incident, but he tried to deny touching Felicia. Now, after that night, however, Dina claims that her relationship with Michael changed and they stopped having sex. However, they continued to live together. Now, Dina never mentioned this incident to her father because she said that she didn't want Felicia to not be able to come back. But after that night, Felicia and Michael began texting each other. And over the next few months, they sent each other hundreds of messages. Michael often even referred to Felicia as his little sister. Now, it's not clear whether or not Dina was aware that Michael and Felicia had been texting each other, but six months later, Felicia returned to Baltimore for what would be her last time. In December 2010, Felicia went to Baltimore to visit her family, as usual, and she stayed with Dina, who was living with Michael at the time. But according to Dina, the relationship was over at that point, and Michael was planning to move out. On December 28, 2010, Felicia had been in Baltimore for a few days by this time. According to reporting, typically Felicia would go to work with either Dina or Kelly, but that day, for whatever reason... Felicia stayed at the apartment. And she wasn't alone, however. By this time, Michael was no longer staying at the apartment, according to Dina, but other relatives of his were still coming by. And several of them, including Michael, had been there the night before. And two of them had ended up spending the night, including Michael's little brother. And so, according to Dina... When she left for work that morning, Felicia was asleep in the bed next to little brother. 
According to Dina and their older sister, Kelly, Kelly was supposed to pick up Felicia after she got off work. They had plans to run some errands and then go to the hairdresser. But Kelly, for some reason, decided not to pick up Felicia and decided to let her sleep, even though she had gotten off work early. She said she tried to call Felicia a few times, but wasn't getting an answer. Now, when she spoke to Dina, she was told that Felicia was asleep, according to Michael, who had returned to the apartment to pick up his little brother. Now, at this point, Michael still had a key to the apartment and was in the process of moving his things out. That morning, Michael came back to the apartment so that he could pick up his little brother and take him to their grandmother's house. It's not clear what time that was, but Dina said that that same day, she received a long text from Michael about them staying together, but she said that she ignored it and didn't respond. A few hours later, she said she received a random call from Michael at around 3 p.m. telling her that he wasn't planning to go to work that day. Now, he would normally work from 3.30 to about 11 p.m. At this point, according to reporting, no one had actually spoken to Felicia, and so it's not clear what the sisters were thinking. But at around 5 p.m., Michael sent Dina another message saying that he saw Felicia and she was up and about. According to reports, Michael had returned back to the apartment to do laundry when he allegedly saw Felicia. So around 6 p.m., Dina finally got home from work, but when she walked in the door, Felicia was nowhere to be found. The door was unlocked and there was music blasting. Something was off and Dina immediately got worried and decided to call her sister and brother to see if maybe they had picked Felicia up. But unfortunately, they hadn't seen or spoken to her either. At this point, Dina was starting to get really concerned and decided to call Michael, who had been at the apartment earlier that day, and told Dina that he had seen Felicia. But when she tried to call him, he didn't answer. Instead, he texted her back saying that his phone was about to die and he couldn't talk. Calls to Felicia's phone were going unanswered, and the worry was setting in. Felicia was not from Baltimore, remember? And so the fact that she wasn't in the apartment and hadn't called to say where she was going was concerning. At some point, according to the reporting, Kelly and Brian, Felicia's brother and other sister, arrived at Dina's apartment so that they could look for Felicia. Back in North Carolina, Janice had no idea what was going on, but her motherly instincts were telling her something was wrong. She recalled having a terrible feeling that evening. She said that she didn't know exactly why, but she felt compelled to call her daughter because of it. But when she tried to call Felicia, the calls went straight to voicemail. Whatever feeling Janice was having in her gut only increased when Felicia didn't answer the phone. After trying to reach Felicia a few more times with no luck, Janice decided to give Dina a call to get to the bottom of things. It was around 8 or 9 p.m. on the 28th when Janice, Felicia's mom, called Dina, who then delivered the devastating news that Felicia was missing and they had no idea where she could be. Janice 
was absolutely shocked and couldn't wrap her head around what she was being told. How could her daughter just disappear like that when she was supposed to be with her own family? Little did Janice know that this was just the beginning of a long, grueling journey that would take months before she would finally discover what had happened to her beloved daughter. And the worst was yet to come. As they continued their tireless search for Felicia, they would uncover shocking revelations and dark secrets that would rock them to their very core. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. On December 28, 2010, the world as the Barnes family knew it changed forever. Felicia, a promising 16-year-old girl, vanished from her sister's apartment in Baltimore, Maryland. She had made the trip from North Carolina to spend time with her siblings, who she had recently connected with. Her sister Dina had left work, and the last time she saw Felicia, she was sound asleep. But when Dina returned home that evening, Felicia was nowhere to be found. The family's worst nightmare had become a reality. What could have happened to Felicia in just a matter of hours? After Dina returned home that evening and found that her sister was missing, she called her other two siblings to see if they knew where she was, but no one had seen or spoken to Felicia. The last person they knew to have seen Felicia was Dina's ex, who had been at the apartment moving things and doing laundry. After discovering Felicia was gone, her siblings came to the apartment complex to look for her, and they informed Janice, Felicia's mom, that they could not find her. Dina had tried to contact Michael, but said he had not answered the phone, and instead texted her saying that his phone was dying. But according to Brian, who spoke to a blog called The People's Champion, he said that Michael came back to the apartment that evening while they were all trying to figure out where Felicia was. And once police were contacted and Felicia was reported missing, the response from police was what you would expect. They believed that Felicia was a runaway. Her phone and wallet were missing, but her cash and debit card was left behind. However, her family insisted that a girl like Felicia didn't run away. She was in Baltimore to visit her family, so why would she leave? She didn't know anyone in Baltimore, and besides, she was getting ready to graduate high school and go to college. She did not fit the profile of a runaway. On December 30th, Janice went to Baltimore to search for her child. On December 31st, She was interviewed by CBS Baltimore, where she made her first public statements regarding her daughter's disappearance. When police spoke to the news that day, they said that they did not suspect foul play at that time. Quote, it appears she left on her own. It doesn't appear that there was any foul play at this point, a member of the Baltimore Police Department said. 
But within a few days of making that statement, the Baltimore PD changed their tone. Police didn't say why, but on January 3rd, 2011, they announced that the search for Felicia was now being handled by the Homicide Division. Police said that the fact that she had not used her cell phone was concerning. The following day, on January 4th, the FBI joined the Baltimore PD in a search for Felicia. They were now believing that it was possible that she could have been abducted. More than 100 officers, according to CBS Baltimore, searched a local park for any trace of Felicia, but were unable to locate anything there. At that time, police revealed that they had interviewed several witnesses and executed seven search and seizure warrants on people who had contact with Felicia while she was in Baltimore. And information also began to come out about the environment that Felicia had been in at her sister's apartment. Janice had found out that Felicia had been giving alcohol and weed by her older sister, and she was livid, to say the least. Quote, you allowed her to drink, and you drank vodka with her. You're 28, and she's 16 years old. And then I found out you're allowing her to smoke marijuana, Janice told CBS Baltimore. As more information was being learned and the days turned into weeks, the urgency to find Felicia intensified. Police searched sewers and brought in bloodhounds and cadaver dogs to search for her. On January 14th, 2011, Congressman Elijah Cummings of Maryland and Larry Kissel of North Carolina issued joint statements pleading for the return of Felicia Barnes. Quote, Somebody watching us now knows something about this young lady. Somebody has been told about her. Somebody has seen her, Congressman Cummings said in his statement. It took weeks, but finally, Felicia's disappearance was finally gaining some national attention. Police themselves had questioned why there was no coverage of Felicia's disappearance early on. And although police dismissed her disappearance as a runaway initially, there was now a multi-agency search underway for the teen. Thanks to her school back in Monroe, a $25,000 reward was offered for information. But sadly, in the weeks following, there was still no sign of Felicia. And what CBS Baltimore said was the largest search in the history of the Baltimore PD they had spent hundreds of hours following leads, speaking to witnesses, and executing search warrants, but had failed to yield any information that would lead them to Felicia's whereabouts. On April 9th, over three months after Felicia went missing, hundreds of police officers, along with volunteers, again searched for Felicia. The area they searched was a state park in Maryland. The searchers spent nine hours in the wooded park, but like all the other searches, they found nothing. Both law enforcement and Felicia's family were frustrated. Now, the efforts from police were refreshing, but for Janice, she also felt like they dropped the ball. I mean, during the most crucial hours after Felicia went missing, where they were the most important hours, police did nothing. And she believes that that hurt the investigation a lot. 
Her family was remaining hopeful that Felicia was going to be found alive, but that hope was fading with each search that found nothing. On April 21st, 2011, the search for Felicia came to an end. It's not clear what led police to the location, but on April 21st, two bodies were found floating in the Susquehanna River. Yes, two bodies. One male and one female. The female body was confirmed to be that of Felicia Barnes. Now, the second body belonged to a man who police believed killed himself and coincidentally ended up in the same river as Felicia and was found the same day. When police spoke to his family, they confirmed that he was suicidal and spoke about jumping off the bridge. He had been reported missing several weeks earlier when he did not come back home. But when Felicia's body was found, she was nude. However, there were no visible signs of trauma, and so police could not determine how she died. Her body was sent to the medical examiner where an autopsy was performed, but the cause of death was not released. Nonetheless, police proceeded with investigating her death as a homicide. In July 2011, local media uncovered court documents revealing that police had obtained warrants to search Felicia's Facebook and email accounts, along with several other individuals. The warrant sought evidence of various crimes, including sexual exploitation of children, as well as possession and distribution of child pornography. This discovery was particularly disturbing and shifted the public's attention to a whole new aspect of the case. But in the months following, as police continued their investigation, they remained tight-lipped about the information that they were finding. However, they were narrowing in on a suspect. In December 2011, police released a statement saying that they were making progress in the case. But as the one-year mark of the disappearance came and went, Felicia's family was more and more desperate for her killer to be found and brought to justice. On April 26, 2012, almost a year to the day that Felicia's body was found, police announced that an arrest had been made. And what came as a surprise to many in the public, police announced that they had arrested Michael Johnson, Dina's ex-boyfriend, and the last person to see Felicia. The details of the indictment were sealed, as well as the affidavits in this case, and so what evidence police found wasn't immediately clear. However, after over a year of searching for answers, Felicia's family was happy that someone was finally arrested. The day after the indictment was announced, prosecutors gave a little bit more information about the evidence that they had against Michael, which included those text messages that I mentioned earlier between he and Felicia, as well as footage of him purchasing a large plastic tub from Walmart the day of the disappearance. He was seen by witnesses carrying out the container from the apartment later that day. They also revealed that they had been intercepting Michael's phone calls. And in one of those calls, he said, quote, I feel like everything is going to hit the fan. 
I feel like I should pack up some stuff and leave. Maybe leave the country. I should go to Brazil. If I start a new life, would they be able to arrest me? The evidence revealed was mostly circumstantial, but prosecutors felt like they had a strong enough case to proceed. And in January 2013, the murder trial took place. Several witnesses testified, including Dina, who admitted to giving her sister alcohol and weed. She tearfully recounted how she just wasn't thinking. During one of the biggest bombshells, and also one of the most disturbing parts of this story, during the trial, the jury was shown what was described as a sex tape that was filmed that June 2010 night when they had all gone streaking. The tape apparently depicted explicit sex acts that involved all five people that were present that night, including Felicia. It was disturbing and damning evidence against not only Michael, but Dina, who had gone on trial in the court of public opinion. The defense tried to refute claims that Michael was obsessed with Felicia. They introduced evidence that showed that the texts between the two were benign and did not prove that there was anything inappropriate happening between them. But despite the lack of physical evidence, the prosecution had presented a compelling case to the jurors. And one witness in particular sealed Michael's fate that day. The prosecution presented a witness by the name of James McCraig. James testified that Michael had called him to the apartment and showed him Felicia's body, and that he gave Michael advice on how to get rid of it. That testimony, along with the other witnesses, was enough for the jury. And in February 2013, Michael was found guilty of second-degree murder, and he was scheduled to be sentenced on March 20th. It seemed as if this part of Felicia's family's nightmare was over. There had been a conviction, and they were hoping that a judge would give him the max. However, on March 20th, when the sentencing hearing began, Michael's attorneys filed a motion for a new trial. They claimed that James McRae was a well-known liar, and they claimed that the prosecution had withheld information about his criminal past. The judge agreed with the defense, and he vacated Michael's conviction and granted him a new trial. But he remained in jail. It was shocking to say the least, but Felicia's family was determined to get justice. However, because he had already been found not guilty of first-degree murder in the first trial, prosecutors could only seek second-degree murder in the next trial. The second trial began in December 2014. The prosecution laid out much of the same case that they had before. But before the defense could call their witness, the judge declared a mistrial. She said that during the presentation of their case, that the prosecution had shown evidence to the jury that was supposed to be withheld. Although the judge didn't believe the prosecution had done it intentionally, the jury had been tainted, and she had to declare a mistrial. There had now been two trials, and neither had ended with Michael being convicted and sentenced. The prosecution again vowed to retry this case. Michael, however, 
did his best to ensure that a third trial didn't take place. In 2017, he filed an appeal with the U.S. Supreme Court to have his third trial blocked, but the appeal was denied. And so in March 2018, the third murder trial for Michael Johnson was set to begin. Again, the prosecution presented their witnesses and tried to paint a picture for the jury that Michael was an obsessed sexual predator. But the defense again argued that there was not enough evidence to convict their client. They argued that the prosecution had not even presented evidence that Felicia had in fact been murdered. For four weeks, the judge listened to over a dozen witnesses. But after hearing the prosecution's case, made a decision. He dropped the charges against Michael altogether, saying that the prosecution had failed to present any evidence that Michael was involved. Quote, the bottom line is, there are far, far too many questions left unanswered about what happened to Ms. Barnes and how the defendant is connected to her murder, Judge Charles Peters told the court. And just like that, Michael Johnson was a free man. After almost eight years and three trials, he was not convicted of Felicia's murder. For years, police were convinced that they had the person who killed Felicia. No other suspects were named, and no other theories were investigated. And so the possibility that the family would ever see justice faded the day that Michael was acquitted. And as of the recording of this episode, Felicia's murder is now a cold case. The conclusion of this story is a frustrating one. A young 16-year-old girl was murdered, and no one has been held accountable. The judge was right when he said that there are a lot of unanswered questions in this case. But after over a decade... Her family is still no closer to finding those answers than the day that Felicia disappeared. I can't imagine what it must have felt like for her family to be so close to getting justice, only to see it snatched away. No matter what happens in this case, it's important to tell Felicia's story. Because whoever is responsible should know that there are people out there who will not forget what happened to Felicia. If there is anyone out there who may have information about Felicia's murder, please contact the Baltimore Police Department. May Felicia Barnes rest in peace. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next week with a brand new story. In the meantime, make sure you follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.